It's finally Friday, guys, and the Blue Bloods are back to end the week right. This is going to be a mini episode, and we'll make we'll go ahead and make an announcement here. We just got done with some amazing interviews tonight, so you know we won't be up too too late and give y'all some crappy episodes. So we're going to give you guys some mini episodes. Interviews are coming starting next week, guys. So be on the lookout for that. So you know this is the end of the shameless plug. We got two segments today. They, but they are some really good debates. We start the episode off by debating which programs are the most overrated programs in college football. And, of course, we wrap it up with a debate about the most dominant football players in college football to never win a Heisman Trophy. We have a semi-full show, so let's kick it off. Guys, if you caught the Audible Wednesday night, uh, we covered who who we would pick as the true blue bloods of college football. Go check it out on YouTube if you have not caught that episode yet. So me and Brandon thought we would cover the other side of the debate and talk about the most overrated programs in college football, who they are, and why these programs seem to just get the benefit of the doubt from experts and fans across the country. Brandon and I will each pick two to three programs, and we're going to break them down for you guys. So, Brandon, who is your first pick here as an overrated college football program? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and uh, start out with maybe the most overrated college football program of all time, um, and that is Notre Dame. That is the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and that's just simply because over the past few seasons, not even past few seasons, over the past, like, over uh, what? Over the past 25 seasons, what has Notre Dame done? But they've been in the top 10 preseason. They've, now, I mean, take for instance 2017. Notre Dame started out number 10 in the country. And then guess what they ended up, Zach? They ended up with a 5 and 8 record. I mean, that checks out. That every, checks out. That's what I'm saying. And it's every single year. It does not matter what year it is. They are going to start out the season ranked. They're going to continue being ranked because, you know, it's it's Notre Dame. They don't play in a conference, so they can schedule whoever they want. Granted, they normally do schedule pretty good games, a lot better than another program that I'm not going to name right now. But they – and by the way, before anybody gets some bright ideas, they that team that's not being named, it will not be named throughout this entire segment. They shouldn't be named. They're not overrated no matter what you think. Um, I can hate them, but they're not overrated. Notre Dame is Notre Dame is I mean legitimately every single year they're ranked somewhere between between number one and number twenty and I mean they are always ranked in the top twenty to start the season and sometimes they end up ranked fairly high but most of the times they'll end up super low ranked if they're ranked at all so I you know I think it's just that name Notre Dame like you know I named them as one of my blue blood programs the other day on the audible I mean they deserve that title but. They're, they they are very overrated, and I think even Notre Dame fans need to kind of swallow that pill at some point. I'll give you that. I I, I don't have Notre Dame here. I think I, I and I think recently it's died down a lot. 
I think recent. I mean, I think they're properly right now. I mean, they're always consistently a lower end top ten, top fifteen team for the most part. Um, but my team here, okay, Brandon, this team's always confused me, especially as a kid. So this might have this might have been a little bit of a heart pick for the analytics guy. But you guys, let me know what y'all think. My first pick here is the Virginia Tech Hokies. Okay. I, 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 they, when I was a kid, at least when Frank Beamer was there, they always seemed to be picked as one of the best teams. And recently, and even at that time, they were always picked as a dark horse contender or someone to be reckoned with. And at the height of this dynasty, I would call it, not a dynasty, but at the height of this program, Frank Beamer took this team to the national championship with with Michael Vick, but they lost the Sugar Bowl to Florida State in 99. But looking back through the history books, this team never won the big one and always seemed to lose a game here or there to keep them from their potential. I mean, how many losses to Boston College, Pitt, or just a middle-of-the-road ACC team can a program take before people stop realizing that there might be, they're maybe not as good as you thought? And for me, mediocrity has always seemed to be the theme in Blacksburg. Brandon, how how outrageous is this stat here? Only one double-digit win season has occurred in Virginia Tech football history since 2011. I mean, it is absurd. You're right. And I just can't put my finger on why this team gets the recognition they do. But it's died down recently. But I feel like it's a combination of two things, Brandon. I think Michael Vick's never going to die in terms of his legacy at that program. And neither will just Frank Beamer in that stadium. Because when Frank Beamer was there, it, when people hated going to play in Blacksburg, but I don't feel like that aura is still there. So even watching college game day now, I feel like anytime a team goes and plays at Virginia Tech, everyone's like, you never know. You can't sleep on Virginia Tech. You, It's so hard playing in that stadium. But I don't feel like that is the case anymore. I feel like it's lost some of its shine, some of the aura of that program. And it's always one that's confused me even as I was a kid about how, like, why should we really pay attention to Virginia tech? I mean, and they've just been kind of average recently. That's fair enough. It's not even just recently either. It's been like pretty consistently for the past few decades. Right. And like you said, they had that one really, really good season with Michael Vick. And besides that, what do they have? Well, every time they get to a big bowl game, there's been some good seasons where they had double-digit wins, but they always lost the bowl game or always lost in the championship game or always lost in the last week of the season. It just – like this this team always seems to be just like a piece of the puzzle away or like one bad night ended it all. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, so – so- do you do you want me to go, or do you want to do this? Like, uh, like I know we're well, only picking like two teams each, but yeah, uh, I won't put you on the spot again. I'll go ahead and take the second one. This one really gets my blood boiling, Brandon. This is the team that I when you told me Brandon picked this segment. By the way, guys, this one is the team that I zeroed in on and said they're going to get roasted tonight. Um, and that team is the Texas A and M Aggies. Okay, okay, uh, I like it. I hate this. I, oh, man. So this is another team that's always a dark horse or the team that next season they're going to be good. Brandon, how many times have you heard someone analyze Texas a and be like, hey, they're missing a wide receiver. They're missing an experienced quarterback. Or 
hey, next year, all those young players are going to be really good. Watch out for Texas A&M next year. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, the the, the, there's a saying, um, Brandon, it's it, always a bridesmaid, never the bride, right? That's a saying. Fair enough, yeah. This yeah. team is always the wedding planner, but never the bride. They can't even get in the wedding party. Oh that's, no! That's 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 my saying for this team. The always the wedding planner, but never the bride. And Brandon, I, okay, I, I want you to give me this stat. I want you to fill this stat in for me. Only blank double digit win seasons since nineteen ninety eight for Texas A and M. Ooh. Two. One. Oh, I'm so close. That's that is tough, right? I mean that's that real all, tough. They had Johnny Manziel. Yes, and they never won double digit with double digit uh games with him. They almost lost to Duke in the Chick-fil-A bowl, Brandon. <laughs> that's a good point. And so I'm glad you mentioned Johnny Manziel. Johnny Money Manziel. This program lives on Two or three, three things. First, state slash conference perception. They played in the glory days of the Pac-12. I mean, I mean, the Big 12. The Big 12 in the mid 2000s when Texas A&M was there was at its peak. They had everyone was competitive, including Missouri, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Texas, um, Texas A&M. Everyone had a good team. TCU was really good. And now they're in the SEC when it, SEC is just dominating college football. So I feel like this program is dragged along by the conferences. And for the second thing, it's Money Manziel. And the one upset over Alabama in Tuscaloosa will live on an infinity. And for some reason, his pretty good, his really good one to two seasons and that one win against Alabama is just going to drop this program forever. I mean, Brandon, no one even knows that when they played the next year, Alabama beat them in Kyle Field. That day, they did. And it's this one win on a uh, – I wouldn't call it a fluke, but people forget Alabama almost won that game, like came back and drove down and threw an interception late in the end zone. Um, and the other thing is I think it's just the fans and the stadium hype that drives this whole, you know – train of the Texas A&M Aggies. I mean, the on-the-field results leave a lot to be desired. Everyone talks about the 12th man and, oh, th- this season they get all their big games at home. Brandon, can you name the last time they like people were really afraid to go play at Texas A&M? Um, no. Well, when, so, I mean, yeah. okay, so, okay, so their three biggest um, division rivals, LSU, Auburn, Bama, I mean, LSU, when's the last time that they beat all three of those teams in Kyle Field? They beat LSU in like a seven-overtime game yeah, two that, seasons ago. Can, can you name another time? Uh, no, because they have not beaten LSU since they've been in the SEC yeah. other than okay. that year. Yeah, what about Auburn? I have no idea because I'm not they've, an Auburn fan. They've never beaten Auburn in Kyle Field. Um, and neither uh, – they have not all, – they have also not beaten Alabama in Kyle Field. Fair. Okay. So you have one win against your three biggest rivals. And just because you have a big stadium means you should just be a dark horse in the conference. And the funny, the ironic thing is, Brandon, what would an expert say about Texas A&M today for the next season? 
I don't know, but I do know um, what some people are saying. And by some people, I mean Kellen Mond. And that's the, they're the next LSU. So just watch out for that. Yeah, so the dark horse. But, you know, that's enough roasting Texas A&M. They were my next victim on the podcast. So, Brandon, who is your second pick? Zach, you're going to like this one. I know you're going to like it. You have to like it. And if you don't like it, then everyone on this podcast is going to be questioning what you're really about. And so my next most overrated team of all time, and and hear me out because it might sound a little ridiculous at first, the University of Michigan, overrated. Let's what get they in. Are. I like it. Let's get as long, it. Zach, as, long as, you, as long as you roast Harbaugh for at least one minute in this rant, I'll let you have it. So go ahead. Oh, I will. Don't you worry. So this is his sixth season as head coach, right? He's he's gone forty-seven and eighteen. Not too bad, right? Yeah, that's pretty good. He's he's batting seven twenty-three. That's nice. That's not that's not terrible. Um, not terrible. Not terrible. What's his what's his bowl record, Zach? Um, I think he has one win. Yeah, he's, he has one win in bowl games since he's been there. Um, not only that, but the University of Michigan, to be in the conversation as one of the greatest, I mean, because I named them as one of my Blue Blood programs as well. I feel like I'm just roasting my Blue Blood programs in this uh, in this segment right now. Yeah, this is Some not a good look. It. This is Some not a good look. deserve it, though. Zach, do you know when their last national championship was? Um, what was it? It was, the, it was 1997. They yeah. won in 1997. That was their it last did, national championship. But, I get it. That wait, wasn't on. that did, long did, ago. Didn't they tie? Isn't it in not like... Yeah. 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 No, so, they so they don't even yeah, have like tied. a full national championship. And do you know when the one before that was, Zach? Isn't it like 70-something, right? Or something no, like that? Nope, nope, nope. 1948. Even, that's tough. <laughs> That's 1948. That was their that was their last um, that was their last national championship before 1997. You know that one that they tied for. So Michigan, you have to do something. I get it. Your all time record is fantastic. No one can forget it. 962, 346, and 36. That's, that's batting 729. That's nice. It's very nice. But do you know what their bowl record is, Zach? Not great. Supposedly one of the greatest college football programs of all time. Their bowl record is twenty-one and twenty-seven. They have a losing record in bowl games. They can't get it done. Okay, and so 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 can I play devil's advocate, Michigan fan here? Go ahead. So Brandon, the reason that it's below five hundred is because Michigan's such a good program. A lot of those losses came in big bowl games. You know what's crazy, Zach, is that, and and if you're a Michigan fan, I'm gonna hit you right where it hurts. Michigan started playing football in 1879. So I don't know how many of those 962 wins they really deserve. And I don't know how many of those of those claimed national titles they really deserve because 10 of their claimed national titles came in 1948 or before. And then their 11th, they tied for in 1997. So, yeah, sure, you have 11 national titles that you claim. You know, that's, that's starting to sound an awful lot like the University of Alabama. That's neither here nor there. Michigan, at least Alabama has some they can truly hang their hat on. They have real BCS <laughs> national championships. They have real college football playoff national championships. They played in an actual national championship game. Michigan, you have 1997 where you went 12-0. and but you tied for the national championship. So that is why you land on my, well, you know what? Let's talk about Jim Harbaugh, Zach. I want, I want you to talk about it. We all know how you feel about him. 
I'm gonna say he's over. I'm just gonna say he's overrated. Guys, if you want to hear my Jim Harbaugh rant, check out like six of our what? This is our 89th episode. Check check out just fine anything that talks about hot seat, anything that talks about Michigan, and you will hear my patented Harbaugh rant. But I don't want to beat a dead horse here because he's going after this season. That's all you need to know. And Brandon, just to make matters worse, do you? I'm gonna quiz you on something we talked about on this podcast before. Do you know? Oh, no. Do you know the worst bowl game loss ever for Michigan? What is it? They lost to the BYU team that somehow won the national championship in the holiday bowl. They sure did. They sure did. Oh, wow. People forget. So 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 technically, if you win that game, I guess you can claim another national championship. I mean, I, I guess if you want to. I don't know, man. At seven and six. That's pretty bad. I was so close to roasting them about their division titles, but then I realized, oh, yeah, it's the Big Ten. The division's just started, so I, I didn't end up doing it. Yeah, good job. Good job. Um, yeah, proud of me. So, proud of me. I, so I don't know if you have three teams, Brandon. I have one more. and No, I'm gone. I've, I've only <laughs> So I can't leave you hanging. My third team is also on our Blue Bloods list, and okay. it's the USC Trojans. There we go. I wanted to talk about them, but I wasn't going to betray my boy Keaton like that. So we'll go uh, ahead, Zach. I'm not putting them on my list. I'm not going to do it, but you can have them on your list, and I might chime in. <laughs> I mean, what team has been better at being highly ranked in the preseason but finishing much below expectations? Oh, Ran- man. How many times have they started out ranked like in the top 10 and ended up just unranked? Oh. So they were actually – they have started the preseason 57 times being ranked. Okay. They finished unranked 17 of those times. That's not a good look. That's a really bad look, actually. And and the worst one was 2012 under Lane Kiffin. They were preseason ranked number one and finished seven and six. Oh, no. Oh, not great. That's a horrible look, guys. And really and truly – Outside of the dominant, the really so Pete Carroll was there for a little while. He really only had three dominant years, and for me, there's been more lows than there's been highs outside of those years. And since Carroll left, there's only been four double-digit win seasons in US at USC, and two of those were under Sam Darnold, who arguably was one of the best quarterbacks in USC history. So. And you didn't get anything out of it. I think they got a rose. No, they uh, yeah they got a rose bowl win out of it. That out of one of them, but that was it. The other one they lost and didn't get there. And uh, for a program that can make a blue blood program list and historically has been one of the most dominant programs in CFP history, today I think you have to mark them down as one of the most overrated teams in the country. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, there's a few years that, like, they are the anomaly. Obviously, there's the early 2000s where, or even just throughout the entire, the Pete Carroll era at USC, they were just dominant. Um, And even here, like, pretty recently, I mean, they've had decent seasons. I mean, let's talk about 2016 when they started ranked 20th in the country, and they ended up ranking third in the country in 2016. People don't talk about it enough, by the way. because we act like USC has just been down, 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 like terrible. But, I mean, they had one off year in 2018. And before that, they went 11-3 and under Clay Helton, 10-3 and under Clay Helton. They've been pretty good, um, is, is my point. 
but yeah, I mean, they are overrated. Uh, I guess you could say they, they do start out ranked a lot and they end up unranked. It's just, that's the USC. It's the same sort of thing as Notre Dame, in my opinion, where it's, Hey, you have that name recognition. We're going to put you in the rankings. It doesn't really matter. Like, it's just kind of like a lazy move to throw them in there. Is my point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. And I mean, for me, I just I feel like the I don't feel like they've been bad. I mean, they've had some anomalies, like you said, but I feel like overall, like if you average together the body of work, it's not up to USC standards. I think that's why they were my third pick on the list and not one of my first two. And I, I see better days, especially with Keenan Slovis coming in, guys. You guys know how high we both are on him. And so I think USC could be on the on the verge of turning this thing around. But for right now, I have to put them my third pick here. But, yeah, absolutely. But, guys, that ends this segment. We're moving on. This is weird to say, Brandon. I mean, we're not that far into the episode. We are already moving on um, to our last segment of the day. Um, a few episodes back, we covered the least deserving Heisman winners of nineteen since nineteen eighty. On the flip side of that argument, were players who definitely deserved to win the honor. They were players who there were players each year who dominated, and some of these players' fans probably don't even know or believe that these players never ended up with the Heisman Trophy in their hands. So here, Brandon and I are going to pick two to three players that each dominated their time in college football and probably should have won a Heisman trophy, but did not. So Brandon, who is your first, let's just say Heisman snub or the player who deserved it that dominated his time? Um, let, let's go ahead. I'll start out with, uh, I think, I think the obvious choice here. Um, Peyton Manning ever heard of him? Have you? I mean, Peyton Manning was (laughs) whatever. Okay. So Peyton Manning made, I mean, he's the reason that, that Tennessee was so one, I mean, they were just incredible in the late nineties and he somehow didn't win um, the Heisman trophy, uh, Charles Woodson, but uh, I guess that's how, I don't know, man. It, it, to me, he was very deserving of it that year. Um, We've already been over this before. Uh, he, I don't know. He, he, he was, I'm trying to think of a way to not just be like repetitive here. I mean, he's the reason that Tennessee was great in the late nineties. Am I wrong? I don't think anyone would argue with you on that one. No. And you've even made the argument that he deserved the Heisman trophy that year. Um, yeah, Charles I think Woodson, Charles, I take Charles Woodson as like the least deserving Heisman player of all time. Like he didn't even lead. The league didn't even leave the league in interceptions that his house would win a year. That's what I'm saying. And so, I mean, to look at, to look at some of his college stats, you know, he played from 1994 to 1997 at Tennessee, 1997 is that year that, that Zach and I are talking about. Um, Peyton, he started in all 12 games for Tennessee. Uh, he, I mean, he, he had 3,800 yards passing that season. He averaged eight yards, uh, he averaged eight yards a pass. Uh, he had 36 touchdown passes. And this is in a time that college football is dominated by the run. He had 36 touchdown passes uh, and, and only 11 interceptions. You know, that's his his overall uh, QBR is 147.7. That's fantastic. Um, don't know how he didn't win the Heisman. Uh, I guess it was time for for a defensive player to win it. 
he, I mean, that 1997 year, he won every award that you possibly could. He was an All-American. He won the Davy O'Brien Award, Johnny United's Golden Arm Award, the Maxwell Award, and the SEC Player of the Year. And, and not to mention, he, he capped it off. Um, what, was it Tennessee that tied with Michigan that year for the national championship? Yeah, I believe so. Working? Yeah, so he, he, he kind of won a national championship that year, I guess. Um I don't know. He he's definitely deserving. He never won the Heisman Trophy, which is insane to say. You know, wait, it's probably wait, no. Hang on, I lied. I lied. Um, it was Nebraska. Nebraska. It was Tennessee. Was in '98. Is the year after Peyton left. Yeah. Okay. Well, still, I, I I mean, what he did at Tennessee was incredible too. I mean, Tennessee, look, they weren't a joke in the in the late '90s or even in the mid '90s when he played. So, I don't know. He he's. He definitely deserved the Heisman, never won it. And so I think he was the most obvious pick on this list. Yeah, so I want to – before I start mine, I want to say this. I do not want to be super repetitive for you guys because I already made two cases on the episode where we talked about undeserving Heisman winners on players who I think could fall in this category. Brandon highlighted the first one, Peyton Manning, and the second one was Nadama Kinsu. Both both of these players were dominant and deserved the Heisman Trophy, but I want to go in a different direction for you guys. And I didn't want to just pick quarterbacks, so here's what I did. I have one quarterback, one wide receiver, and one defensive player. I wanted to cover all the bases. That way, you know, we're not just sitting here talking about who was the best quarterback this year or that year. But I'll start with my quarterback here, Brandon. We kind of highlighted it. This guy was such a big snub that Eric Couch won a Heisman over five years later just as payback for this guy not getting one. And that's Tommy Frazier. He was the Nebraska quarterback, 92 to 95. 95 was the season that he finished in the Heisman vote. He finished second. But, I mean, for a player to have in, in an option run first offense to have over 3,500 yards passing 43 touchdowns in his career and and almost 2,000 career rushing yards and 36 touchdowns. I mean, that is outrageous. That's almost 80 touchdowns in his career. And for a player like this to never take home a Heisman just kind of blows my mind. I mean, if a quarterback was putting up stats like Fraser was back in the day, he would be one of the most automatic Heisman winners. And I think what hurt him, Brandon, is this. I think the fact that he didn't throw that often. I mean, Brandon, he only had 163 attempts throwing the ball his last year for Nebraska. I mean, Joe Burrow probably had that in week four. I mean, fair. so he did not throw the ball a lot, but he completed almost 60% of his passes and was averaging uh, over nine yards an attempt. And so – he was moving the ball down the field, and he was running the ball very well. And that Nebraska team was so dynamic with all the different weapons they had. I feel like his stats were suppressed, and I think that's what cost him the Heisman. But he was he was a Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award winner, consensus All-American. I mean, ranked up up at the top of the, the big eight at the time in almost everything. And for me, uh, I feel like it was – uh, it was probably one of the bigger snubs of all time for Tommy Frazier not to get this award. So I'm going to go with Tommy Frazier here. He might not be as an obvious one, but I feel like he did deserve it, at least in 1995. Right. Absolutely. Zach, we're going to do it snake style, so go ahead and give oh, me a boy. player. All right. This one could be a bit controversial, Brandon, all right? 
okay. Um, and it, it's a wide receiver. This award is generally not given to wide receivers, but I'm going with Randy Moss at Marshall. Um, at Marshall? Out of Marshall, 1997 specific, because 97 is the only year I can take into account because that was the first year Marshall was in Division One. But Brandon, in only 13 games that this the year I'm talking about in 97, Moss had 96 catches, Brandon, for okay. over 1,800 yards and 26 touchdowns. All right. Uh, and I mean, I, that's a I nice, get it. It's Randy Moss. It's Randy yeah. Moss. I, mean, I get that. But, and man. he also was the punt and kick returner for this team. And for me, he was a consensus All-American, a Bolitnikoff Award winner, the MAC Offensive Player of the Year. Brandon, he was third in, in the incident play in receptions. He was first in yards. He was he was second in the conference for yards per reception with 19. He led the incident play in receiving touchdowns. He was fifth from yards for scrimmage in the NCAA. He led the NCAA in total touchdowns for scrimmage. And he was fourth for touchdowns responsible for. And I, I just don't understand. And, Brandon, you want to hear the craziest stat of all time? You know, he yeah. led the NCAA in points scored. Okay. Uh, I As mean, a wide receiver. That's nuts. That is nuts, actually. That's and, really crazy. And you're telling me he was fourth? He was, he finished fourth in the Hosman voting, and you're telling me he was the fourth best player in the country? This guy was the best player in the country. Yeah. I, I mean, no. I don't I don't agree with that. I get what you're saying. I mean, Brandon, so who who do you think is the who who do you think oh I know who you think it is, but I'll let you say it for everybody. Who was the best wide receiver? in the country last season? Jamar Chase. By a good margin, you would say, right? I would say by a great margin. Okay. Jamar Chase had less receptions for less yards and less touchdowns than Randy Moss had that season. Jamar Chase played an SEC schedule and not a Marshall schedule. Okay. Jamar Chase also, you know, uh, okay. Also had the benefit of having Joe Burrow as his quarterback, Brandon, and he also had the benefit. Like, I can't, I can't, I cannot have you flip flopping on me every other episode. Is it so? Who are you giving credit to? You're going to give credit to Joe Burrow, or you're going to give credit to Jamar Chase, or you're going to give credit to to Joe Brady? You have to pick one. You can't keep you can't keep flip flopping it to to use your argument against me, Zach. It's ridiculous. I, it's, it's not an argument. I guess. I mean, <laughs> they all played a uh, they all played a role. But just keep feel, talking about Randy Moss. This oh my god, this. this is this is outrageous. But Brandon, I, I'm sorry. Those are if if a wide receiver ever deserved a Heisman, it was that season. I don't think a receiver is ever going to have a season like that again. I mean, you have almost a hundred catches for almost two thousand yards and thirty touchdowns. Yeah, that's yeah, outrageous. I mean, I, it is. That it's it's the most dominant season that we've ever seen for a receiver, and so I feel like if it's a fair debate on uh, this, so the argument is this a quarterback award, whatever. If if it's not, if it's supposed to be the best player in college football, Randy Moss deserved to win a Heisman, regardless okay. of if he played at Marshall, he was the best player at that time, especially at his position. All right. Zach, I did the same sort of thing. Well, not the same exact thing you did. I only chose two players, but I did choose a quarterback. 
but I wanted to do something a little bit differently. And so I decided to choose a defensive player. Um, I know you also did, and I hope we don't have the same guy here or else I'm just going to take him right out from under you. I have a feeling we don't have the same guy. I'm not sure though. Um, So I'm going to go with the player that should have been the first defensive Heisman um, well before, uh, well before Charles Woodson won the honor. And I'm going to go with Hugh Green. Hugh Green in 1980 was the most dominant player in the country. And to me, it's not, it's not really close. Um, He got edged out by George Rogers that year, um, a running back, a senior running back out of South Carolina. And I get it because who are you going to give it to? You're going to give it to the defensive end or you're going to give it to the running back. Uh, Hugh Green did finish second in Heisman voting which was the highest that any defensive player had ever finished at this point in time. Um, he finished, he finished second Herschel Walker finished third. So if that tells you anything, he was pretty good. Um, Hugh green over his career had, uh, he had 460 tackles, 53 sacks, uh, his senior year, not, he, you know, he didn't win the Heisman obviously, but what he did win was the Maxwell award the Vince Lombardi Award, and the Walter Camp Player of the Year Award. He won two Player of the Year awards, but got snubbed for the Heisman because he's not an offensive player. And this was in a time when it was just unheard of for a defensive player to even be in Heisman consideration. And he finished that high. And I understand that if he was maybe playing in today's game, he might not be nearly as dominant. But for the time that he played in, he was the most dominant defensive end, and it's not close. He was the most dominant defensive end from 1997 to 1980 in college football, and it's and I'm not I'm not playing with you right now. It's not close. I I really like that pick. I the I didn't pick Q Green because there's an argument that can be made that Herschel Walker also deserved that Heisman. Um, you know, there's a lot of debate about the 1980 Heisman, but I like that pick. I mean, if there was a defensive lineman who deserved the award. Yeah, I would say it was either Hugh Green and Dadama Kansu. I, I like that pick a lot. Um, Brandon, I have a player who also should have won the Heisman before Charles Woodson, and he played a similar role as Charles Woodson, and that is Deion Sanders. Oh, I, State, almost picked, I almost picked Deion Sanders. Go ahead. I mean, guys. I don't even think there's a debate, is there, Brandon? I mean, he was the most dynamic kick-punt returner in the country. He he returned at least one every single season outside of 86. And he was – Brandon, would you argue that he was the best lockdown quarter in the country his entire career? Yeah, it wasn't close. I mean, he was – he is – why, when you see a good uh, or a great cornerback at Florida State now, they are, I mean, they're compared to Deion Sanders. I mean, he's just like, he's the benchmark. Yeah, and he had at least an interception every single year. In his senior year, he had five picks and took two of them back for touchdowns. He averaged 24 yards per interception, taking it back. And he was a two-time consensus All-American. He won the Jim Thorpe Award. I mean, he is he is one of the greatest players. of. I mean, he led the NCAA in punt return yards and his averages his senior year, which is the year he finished eighth in the Hosman, guys. And 
personally, I feel like he was the best defensive player in his at his time. And for me, he led the NCAA interception return touchdowns. He was top five for yards. And Deion Sanders, it's much it's really hard to compare stats for DBs over a podcast, but I don't think there's an argument that can be made that Deion Sanders wasn't the most dominant defensive back in his era. And I think there's a lot of people who might even say he could be the greatest defensive back to ever play football. Yeah, fair enough. I, I mean, he, like I said, he's the benchmark. Did he deserve it more than Charles Woodson? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not close. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of people who deserved it more than Charles Woodson. Cause you got to remember he won it the same year that I was talking about Randy Moss too. So yeah, he, he won it. And you know, the the only thing I can say about Deion Sanders, though, in, in 1988 is that it's going to be real tough to argue he deserved it that year because that was the year Barry Sanders won it with, with over 2,600 yards and 37 touchdowns. And that was probably the greatest season for a running back we've ever seen. And Barry Sanders dominated that vote, Brandon. He had over 500 first-place votes. Right. right. So it's it's real hard to argue that Deion Sanders deserved it. But I think this segment was the most dominant players to never win a Heisman. I think that has to include Deion Sanders. And to make you feel worse, Brandon, Deion Sanders finished below an offensive lineman. That makes me feel really bad, actually. Tony Mandarich from Michigan State finished sixth. That's nice. <laughs> what? Yeah. Are you joking? Yep. He got three first place votes. I did I, well. I didn't realize that. That's incredible. That so Deion Sanders is in this segment because he got zero first place votes and an offensive lineman got three. That should okay. tell you all you need to know about rigging the system, guys. The, that the, is the brutal. Disrespect. That is the brutal. Disrespect. I'm sorry. Even yeah. even Panay Sewell doesn't even. I mean, come on. He might be the best offensive lineman prospect we've ever seen, and he's not better than Deion Sanders. I could give. Any NFL team, up like their pick, any college team, their pick, they're picking Deion Sanders over every offensive lineman in the history of football. Right, that's fair enough. But guys, that ends our somewhat mini episode. I mean, it was supposed to be a mini episode. We still went over thirty minutes for you guys, so we put in the work for you guys. Um, check out the Audible. The video is on YouTube. Um, we did episode two, so go, you guys, go check that out on our YouTube page the Blue Blood CFB podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel, like all that stuff, share with your friends, find the podcast everywhere, share that with your friends too. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. We're, we're going to start shouting out people who comment. We're, next episode, we have someone we got to shout out. So just hang tight there. Next week, um, interviews start rolling in. Be on the lookout for that. As for social media, Facebook at the Blue Bloods pod, Instagram at the underscore Blue Bloods, Twitter at the underscore underscore blue bloods, our website, the bluebloodspod.com. We got stuff coming on there soon. We've been slacking with that. We apologize. But guys, you guys keep listening. We're going to keep dropping episodes. That's how all this works. But for right now, we out. <laughs>